All right, all right, all right. What's up, everybody out there? What is going on? Steven Ignoramus in the house. What's up? Welcome to another episode of Call Me Ignorant. We got Robert Bordelon Pearson coming on in about 10 minutes or so. We can talk about he's an author, and we're going to be talking about his book, The Blue Collar Blind Spot. Let's read a couple of his taglines from uh, from his websites and things like that. I'm going to put these websites, uh, the links to his work in the chat. Hope everyone is doing just well. Let me link this below. Mods that are in there right now, if you want to f- copy these links from the chat, we can uh, <clears throat> spread it around. Maybe someone will buy Robert's book. He does some cool... Uh, podcast from the car over there uh, on Instagram, and I think they upload on a website known as Audio Mac, which I'm going to uh, ask him about tonight. Very, very excited for that. Got some uh, good people in the live chat right now. We got Sparuski in there, Tony, Horatius, Random Randy, and Blind Fear. Hello, hello. We got a good one, and then we're going to be streaming again at 9 p.m. Eastern with episode number 449 of the Daily Ignoramus. I'm very, very excited. Let me pull this little uh, uh, Robert's website over here, and let's take a look at it. So we got, um, so it's followtheleader.one. Let me turn off the music so you can hear the sultry sounds of Stephen Ignoramus on the vocals. Followtheleader.one. It says, be a leader, follow the leader. I believe that my example is the most uh, powerful tool that I have to lead my family in the right direction. Let's follow Jesus to learn what it means to be a man and to lead our family. Get the blue collar blind spot and let's learn together. Let's go over to the let's learn together. Very cool. I didn't even realize he had all this stuff. So follow the uh, lead to disciple, be discipled to lead. Um, follow book, the message, this guy. Let's go over to this guy. <laughs> There's Robert. Welcome to follow the leader. This is a project about improving who you are, discovering what God wants us to be, how to parent well, how to husband well, and how to live well. His name is Robert Pearson. I, I have five years. He has five years of Bible college, dropped out and became an electrician. He's been a husband uh, uh, for 11 years and a father, uh, and a father of seven father of seven kids. So does he mean a father for seven years or a father of seven base department as an electrician and a blue collar uh, Bible scholar? He does his best to make ivory tower the- theology accessible and encourage every man to read the Bible for himself and learn to seek God's face. He's written the blue collar blind spot calling evangelical uh, leaders to recognize the importance of the common working man and how they are uh, and how they are missing him. Amazing. Your example in leadership uh, builds a wall that keeps the family safe, just like Nehemiah. You're an example to your children, uh, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, make it a good one. My goal is to become, or his goal, it's my goal too as a Christian man, uh, to become a better leader uh, for my family by following the leader whose name is Jesus the Christ. Practically speaking, this means very simply read your Bible, pray every day. There's more, there's more though, a lot more. The simplest way is to parent. Uh, the simplest way to parent is also the hardest. Become the man you want your so- sons to be. So, guy sounds awesome. Uh, yeah, so he's going to be on in a minute or two. We scheduled it for seven thirty in the one true time zone, which, uh, which of course is Eastern time. But you guys knew that. Um, let me throw this over there and I'll open up my notes and we'll. And, and so we're going to take some questions if you guys want. Um, Let's go over to his book real fast, The Blue Collar Blind Spot. I watched a couple of his streams today on prep for this on, on Instagram. He was talking about the, the prayer to Brahma in the, uh, in the state capital. 
uh, the A woman speech, if you will. And uh, he was talking about the statistics of why uh, blue collar uh, men, blue collar working class men are an untapped uh, demographic when it comes to evangelizing to Christians in America and what is leadership. And he says also he's big on definitions. So we're going to ask him some questions about that, that as well. Before we get started, um, if you feel like supporting, we have a various link tree. Have a, a, you, know, you can subscribe on the various platforms. You can toss in some lemons at the end of the stream. The, the donations do not work on DLive until five minutes before the end when I turn the something off. Um, yeah, uh, so Sparuski says, "Ish Brahma." Did you ever catch that spe that speech, uh, Sparky? The interesting about that uh, thing about that, I'm sure we'll talk about it, is that it was the a woman, a man, a woman thing that went high profile in the news. But th the dude, you know, this guy is a pro-choice pastor praying to Brahma in the Senate building. <laughs> like what? <laughs> like man, and, and so I don't know. People have the theories on. Uh, you know, why that is or why that isn't, you know, um, <clears throat> why the thing happened a couple days later, things like that. But please, if you guys want to uh, buy Robert's book of uh, the blue collar blind spot, it says it's over on um, Lulu, huh? Let me show you the guys this real fast. So um, Lulu.com, it's a long link. So let me, let me just throw it over there in the chat so I don't talk too much. I want to read the entire, entire, entire link. I don't know. Um, Bordelon Pearson on Taurus, uh, Taurus Necris. Yeah, so we got some people affiliated with Taurus Necris who are fans of the show and things like that. Um, yes, it did so ridiculous. Amen. It says, so it be done, Lord willing. Yes, <laughs> in, the ma in, in the masculine. I'm glad you guys are here tonight. Uh, as soon as uh, Robert comes in the room, we're going to start the interview. This will be uploaded as a podcast of Call Me Ignorant uh, tomorrow or something like that. Uh, whenever my people's peoples get on it, <laughs> you know who you are. Uh, yeah, I might as well uh, mention by name. Uh, check out Woofy Productions over there on the very uh, over there on I believe on Instagram and mainly on on YouTube. Woofy releases music. I really really appreciate the the work that Woofy does for the show in the form of art and uploading podcasts. Uh, I know how to do it myself, but uh, I'm just going to delegate a little bit. Um, but yeah, if you feel like supporting, you can subscribe on the various platforms or tell me someone to interview or you can share it around, spread it around. I'm not sure. What else do we got? Let's go back over to uh, the, let's see, let's learn together. Oh, Robert's in the house. Let's get him in here. All right. Let's see if this works. This has not worked before. It being technology, you know. All right. All right. Let's see how we're doing. Hello, hello. Connecting to audio. So you, you click computer audio and it works. Yes. Hello. Audio? Yes. Hello, Robert. How's it going? Hey, it's doing all right. I'm glad to, I'm glad you're here, man. I'm really I was just telling I was just showing the people your website and where to buy your book and all the different things you have on on your website. Um so cool. I guess we'll just start at the beginning. Uh, when did you start, you know, so it's called Follow the Leader and the book is the Blue Collar, blue collar uh, Blind Spot. But when did you start, um, you know, thinking about making these ideas and these messages into online content? Um, it was, uh, man, it was like three or four years ago. I had just moved to the, uh, the Nova area and wound up... Um, trying to find something to do more than just work with my hands. Not that, uh, so there was a little bit of soul searching and coming around to realizing that working with my hands wasn't lesser in some way, but it, it felt like it initially. Interesting. Um, do you, do you come from a background of, of manual labor, blue collar working class kind of your, your whole yeah, life? I, I, 
I, I do. I, I in the the book, I, I do like a brief biography. But my uh, my dad worked upholstery a lot in his uh, in his life. He did in home service repair, and so he would drag me along sometimes, and I would get to see him work on somebody's sofa while he was just hanging out, and he he chat with him and stuff. He taught gospel sometimes if the the opportunity was there. Um, but just watching him or, um, or he would take people's, uh, furnitures from their house and he'd repair it in our garage and then deliver it. Um, nowadays it's easier to get another $200 sofa from Afghanistan. So he, he does other things, but, yeah. uh, it used to be, you know, you, you weren't going to buy another $2,000 sofa. You'd pay somebody $45 an hour to make that cigarette burn disappear. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I grew up watching him build, build stuff in the backyard or, or um, fix the, uh, fix, fix couches and stuff. Cool. Uh, I mean, I, I come ride. I come from a fairly soft, what you might call white collar background, and I actually am, am thankful that I it never, you know, working with your hands has always always seemed really like kind of badass to me, you know, like because I, I, I don't know really how to do it, I don't really know how to fix anything. I always had to either pay someone or just n- kind of not do it, if you know what I mean. But I I think that I've always thought it was really really cool. Um, and so, but do you have, you went to school for, uh, you went to Bible college, right? Yes. I, uh, I went to Bible college for five years and no degree. Really? Yeah. Why, why, why it, did that happen? And why no um, degree? So, so my goal wasn't to get a degree and get plugged into a job. Um, when you, I, I grew up in church. And so looking at the whole, what job do I pick thing, um, it was drilled into my head by, by my godly parents that money wasn't the objective. So how much money can I make wasn't really the goal. So I was looking at, you know, what did I have fun doing? And then I kept you know, re-envisioning what I wanted to do of like, well, I'll just be a Christian one of those or a Christian one of those. And it felt like I was dragging Jesus along like an unwanted little brother on whatever I wanted to do. Um, and so I thought, well, let me flip that around a little bit. And I guess being a missionary seems like the right call. And so I started pursuing that. So I wound up at Bible college and then two semesters in, I found out that all my missions classes were like common sense stuff. So they'd talk about, well, some cultures are event oriented and some cultures are relationship oriented. Um, but you won't know what culture you're going to until you're called a mission field or find your opportunities. And I was like, then why did you bother telling me that? I could Google it before I go there when I know where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, give me so. I was like, give me the Bible stuff. So I started, I switched majors from a bachelor of arts in uh, <laughs> um, missions to a bachelor of arts in biblical research. And so nothing transferred except like the, the English composition that they required to have. So for their accreditation, and that was it. Um, so I, I started studying like Greek and Hebrew and all the, the weird wow. Old Testament and stuff and Apocrypha. And then I wound up starting a family and trying out law enforcement for a while before I became an electrician. Cool. And, uh, What'd you do in, was, uh, in law enforcement? I was a correct. Well, I went through law enforcement training and then the only job I could get was a corrections officer because I'm not a giant football player build, <laughs> uh, which they don't really explain to you is probably the only way you get a good high paying long-term career in uh, in law enforcement. And then you also have to be willing to raise your family, at least in Missouri, you have to be willing to raise your family within 20 miles of St. Louis or Kansas city to, to make more than 30 grand a year ever. Wow. So that's out. Uh, yeah. so not places I want to raise family. So uh, you have seven kids. Is that what your website said? Yes. That's awesome. Man. Yes. I was, our, I, uh, I, was our, I was wondering if it, it, I don't know if it said seven years or seven kids. And I was like, dang, that's awesome, man. What a blessing. 
I'll have to, I'll have to revise that. So it's less ambiguous. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's our, I cheated a little bit. I, I cheated. My wife did all the work, but, uh, we cheated a little bit because it was, there are two sets of twins in there. So it's not a full seven pregnancies, but okay. two of the pregnancies were twice as hard. Yeah. So it evens out a little bit, but, uh, awesome. yeah, our second set of twins was born this June. Yeah. It was right at the end of June, and then the sleep deprivation, I basically woke up in August. I was running on autopilot for a whole month. I look at the calendar, I'm like, oh, it's August? Oh, okay. Goodbye, July. We missed you. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't have any kids. I'm not married, don't have any kids. I, you know, I, I, you know, everyone says it's very hard, but very worth it. I I hope to have the same insomnia one day, right? Yes, it's, it's, you, you learn to cope. God, God brings you through it. Yeah, absolutely. What's, uh, you know, I was, you know, before we get into the subject matter of your book and stuff like that, are you, is that a light on your hat that for, oh. for your electrical work? Cause yes. you wear the same thing in your stream. So you do your, your, uh, your Instagram streams on the way for, back from work, correct? Yeah. I, I live in the, the Nova area, so I can drive 10 minutes or 10 miles. Sorry. I can drive 10 miles and it'll take 30 minutes. I'm trying to capitalize on my, uh, my drive time to do something other than just stare at cars go by or listen to podcasts, which I yeah. do occasionally also. Yeah, cool. I mean, so so for the, those of you just listening, I don't know, if it, you know, got people all over the either the world or, you know, in the chat, that means Northern Virginia. So that that's – Oh, Northern, sorry, yeah. Nova <laughs> is, is Northern Virginia. DMV is the D.C., Maryland, Virginia. You know, we're cool yep. belt, beltway types over here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cool, man. So you wrote this book, The Blue Collar uh, Blind Spot. You know, I have a – you know, as always, when I interview someone, I've taken extensive notes. Uh, but – you know, so why don't you just tell people kind of the thesis to your book and when you started on it, I have some other questions after that, but yeah, what's your, what's your book all about? Cool. Um, in driving back and forth, I listened to a lot of like the radio preachers and stuff and, um, having come out of Bible college, I like picking their sermons apart, like, okay, what kind of language, where are you going with this? And, um, it was just like inside baseball stuff that most people don't care about. I'm, I'm weird. Um, but I, I kept noticing there was this weird, like, silence because whenever they talk about applying the the bible or the gospel to a work environment it will always kind of assumes it's an office it always kind of assumes nine to five and i've worked third shift as an armed guard i've you know i'm i'm listening to focus on the family which kind of has this weird focus on uh, like single moms and stuff which is great like they need they need to be focused on but they, they almost never focus on just men or just fathers they've gotten a little better recently in the last like four or five months but um, and it's, it's weird cause I listen to them in my work truck at like four in the morning when they're on and, uh, they're just, there was this constant silence. So I started wondering if it was just me and the more people I asked, the more they seemed like, well, yeah, there's, there's never a mention of having to use a, a porta john or, <laughs> you know, be on a, a job site when they're talking about where the, how you bring the gospel to your work. Um, you know, it's always offices, cubicles, break rooms. And I'm like, wow, yeah. you guys get to go to bathroom inside. That's awesome. Um, construction sites, they haven't built the bathroom yet most of the time. So you're, I just, I never noticed that. I never noticed that there there is a lot of, you know, uh, water cooler talk and Christian radio. There's, there is a lot of cute. You're right. I never, that just hit me right now that I never, it's very catered to what what you would call off like office white collar jobs. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's not a problem, but when there's almost none, it becomes an issue because how are you, who's reaching these blue collar guys? Um, who's, who's speaking kind of aiming it to their heart. Um, a lot of my friends from Bible calls are all like pastors now and youth pastors and worship leaders and stuff. And I, I know them, 
you know, I, we keep in touch now. It's like, Oh, how many kids I have? Oh, good for them on Facebook. But, uh, um, like I know they have a heart. They're genuine. They're not just up there. Like, you know, get rich quick kind of nonsense. They, they really care about people. So they would know, they would want to know if they were missing people. And so I realized God put me in this weird position where I was in a place to notice a problem. And then I also had a skill set that allowed me to maybe address the problem in a constructive way besides just complaining. And so I started gathering data points. I had to make my own data points for a lot of it. Um, and uh, it's, that was the goal was just kind of to write a book that would uh, address a problem, kind of clarify, identify a problem and then some possible ways to address it and be constructive and then have data points to sort of support it. So it's not just a random blue collar Bible college dropout crying about the radio doesn't speak to me. Yeah. It's, I wanted it to be a little more than that, a little more cerebral, but also to reach the pastors and stuff that need to hear it. Right. Yeah. I mean, one of your streams is basically all about statistics and you going into these surveys and these studies and, um, you know, I don't know if you can condense it in you know enough time. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about the, the research you did? And, you know, um, it was pretty impressive the way you narrowed down the field to what your estimation of the, the, the number of kind of uncharted territory or untapped demographic. Why don't you just talk about the stats and research for a little bit? Yeah. Um, so, I, I have kind of a weird way of processing stuff. One of the reasons I didn't stick with the biblical research path was you have to, when you're dealing with somebody that's wrong, you have to address every single point in their argument. I like to take their argument, condense it to the point that matters and say, all of your points are based on this one. This one's wrong and I'm done. And I, I shouldn't have to sit there and address or play nice because we're talking ideas and I should be able to say you're wrong and let's move on. And you, it just wasn't a good fit for people that write books and, and go to go to colleges and teach and stuff. So, um, but this is probably one of the few books that's less than a hundred pages. And I have four appendices in here. Of, yeah, show uh, people stuff. the cover real fast. Oh yeah. Somewhere I can, there we go. Yeah. Blue collar block. Nice. Sweet. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty legit. Uh, this is with Taurus Necros publishing. It's, yep. it's awesome. Uh, Taurus Necros.com everybody. Yeah. We have Where, several people that listen yeah, to the I've show. Four that, appendices. Uh, that either work there or are fans of that. And yeah, we got some Taurus Necros people here. We got, oh yeah. So the appendix is what you're saying. Oh yeah. I've, so I got four appendixes in a book that's not even a hundred pages. It's, it's exactly a hundred pages. If you count the blank one in the back. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's how I roll concise awesome, and footnoted. Yeah. Um, so where are we? Oh yeah. The untapped demographic um, blue collar is, is uh, an interesting, um, it's hard to define in a, in a scholarly sense. Everybody can look at something and go, oh, yeah, that's blue collar. And they look at something that's not and go, yeah, that's not blue collar. But it, when you're having to write a book, you have to kind of narrow it down. And so I really wound up with two kind of demographics. And I, I jumped back and forth a little bit uh, just because of it's the data that I had at hand. Um, I'm not paying $1,000 a year. Sorry, Gallup. Uh, <laughs> the... Uh, the main demographic that gets it gets talked up a bunch now is this like poor pitiful people group called working class. And it's basically everybody without a college degree that makes less than $50,000 a year. Broad strokes. Uh, more specifically in that you can go on to um, Department of Labor Statistics and look at industrial jobs. But even then, it's not exact because they'll include the industry people working. So it doesn't matter if you're in the HR department, you're in the HR department at a general contractor, you're in construction. 
so it's it's a little harder to to filter through all of that um but essentially uh my brain my brain just i gotta i gotta actually use my own appendix here <laughs> wait right. the, what was the, the stats one so that culture six ah there we go there we go um Oh, that's right. That's right. So uh, looking at the religious landscape study that Pew Research did, they had, um, they were comparing, they, they basically did a ton of questions and surveyed a, a couple thousand people. And then you're able to cross-reference this data. For, for being specific, they gathered the data around 2017, but none of it was actually available to slice and dice on my own until like 2019. So it's, it, it's it's not exactly up to date and then yeah. post corona who knows yeah i heard you mention that in one of your one of your streams that um that it it, it messed up you know, i mean it messed up so many things about the economy yeah. labor statistics i mean the, the, but you know one another thing you mentioned in one of your streams is that no matter what and i've thought this for a while like people say the you know the robots are going to take over uh you know people aren't going to build stuff anymore i have th- always said men building stuff with their hands is never going to go away. It's never, no, I don't it, think it's, 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 I think it's just built into the human. They'll either have to fix the rope. Even if the robots go full takeover, someone will have to build them. Someone will have to fix them. Someone will have to do maintenance and, and robots can't get in. They can't improvise on this level. They can improvise on yeah. this level, but getting into a crawl space and like improvising around men will always exactly. do that. Yeah. Do you agree? Exactly. Um, I, I joked when uh, when Corona first started, I kept joking about like everybody else gets to telecommute. I want to telecommute. I'm going to duct tape a duct tape a webcam and a screwdriver to an RC car. Well, I'll, I'll telecommute from home. I'll yeah. make it work. It's OK. Um, <laughs> so much of so much of what I do, even so, the only way you could really replace uh, plumbing and electrical and HVAC in in that sort of setting would be with prefab construction where you're forecasting concrete walls either on site or on a different site, and then they truck them in and put together like a giant Lego building, you would have to already have the electrical plumbing layout built into the walls that are then assembled, but then you're stuck with a single configuration still. Um, You would still, if you wanted to add more, do something or make it customized, you'd have to, like you were saying, you'd have to improvise. You'd be in a crawl space and a ceiling, try to figure out where to notch out a wall to get electricity to this one spot. Um, it's yeah. it's a lot more detailed than than people like to act, uh, and even then I got to deal, especially in the in the D.C. area, man. You've got hundred year old buildings, legitimately hundred year old buildings, where you're having to put a brand new plug and deal with something that was installed in the 1940s in a building that was built in the 1910s, and that's just standard fare. Robots aren't going to be able to even think about doing that. Yeah, and you hear from a lot of old timers. You know, this will be you know from the like 1930s or 1940s you know stuff was better back then because a it had more quality materials and b there was interchangeable parts you know you wouldn't have to buy a whole new fan to you just replace a part and now these days at least i've I've heard this from people that that know what they're talking about um that you can't really replace parts as easy anymore do you agree with that Uh oh do we hit do we oh no i can hear you you Oh no! Um, um, they can hear me. Something broken now. You this can. Is upsetting. You can leave and come back if you want. I don't know how to communicate this with you. I'll open the chat. Well, uh, uh, you can. I still can't hear. Can, uh, let's see. 
Everyone in the chat, can you hear me? changed on my end. Uh, room and come back. I can DM you over here, too. This is Talk Radio. You're on the air. You are on the air, guys. Uh, leave oh, the room there we go. and come back. Can I do chat? Hopefully, this will work. Let's read some of these these chats. Um, we can hear both of you, but there's an echo. Afrodded wood. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear no. you. I can hear you. Okay, so I'm coming through fine. Okay. Yeah, you're coming through, but <laughs> I can't, you don't hear me. I can't yeah. hear you. I'm going to kick you. Uh, um, I'll leave the room and come back. That's uh, even worse. Uh, <laughs> All right, y'all. Uh, you can hear both. Yeah, thank you, thank you. What up, uh, Harry Chested Libertarian? Uh, hello, welcome. Thanks for DMing me, man. That was a nice message. I, pre- I appreciate so much all the kind messages you guys have uh, you guys have sent me over the last couple of days. It's really nice. Ron Helton in the house. Hello, hello. We talking toilets over there in the chat? Um, yeah, I know you can hear me. I can. I'm monitoring it like a good audio guy. Set of Acantis says he he just fixed a leaky toilet. Let's see if this works. Let's get uh. <laughs> leaky toilet midstream fact business bear take care of business bears in the house what's up y'all i didn't ban him for life now <laughs> that's so funny ah, you back there you, you hear me i don't know what happened if, if it if it cuts like that you can always just leave and come back um, come back Got it. all right so I, <laughs> I could tell you we're picking up on what, what i was what i was saying because Anyway, let's just and reverse track for a second. Um, so what I was saying is, is, is I've heard a lot of old timers say that um, you know things products are worse now because they you can't replace parts as easy anymore. Where back in the day there is um, I don't know what the terminology is. You might be able to help me out with it, but you know you could just replace a spring or one little part, and now that's gone because things come from China and th- you know and, and things like that. So do you have that experience as well? Uh, yes. Um, it's the sort of, well, so we install things into, uh, into homes and stuff. So the electrical wiring mechanisms are better now because they used to just run the bare wires inside of your walls and they would tie it off on ceramic knobs. Like it was a telephone pole, but it'd be the little wires that come to your plug. And then after that, they started wrapping it in uh we call it rag wire, but it was a, a fabric mesh. So when it gets really old, you would just touch it and the, the, the rags would come off and you would have like bare wires under it. So it, it, it's better now in the terms of insulation and, and the, the way it's installed, but for like tools and stuff. Yeah. You used to be able to take a Milwaukee saws all apart when they first made them and replace the motor, replace the springs and different parts. You could order from the, the store. Uh, if you, you had a certain part that broke, but yeah, now everything is proprietary fasteners because they found they make more money selling you just a whole new drill. So they make the drill almost impossible to uh, to fix on your own, so that you have to they, so you have to buy another one. Hmm. It's a uh, planned obsolescence. Thing, planned so, obsolescence. That's the exact term I was thinking of. Yes. All right. Um, I, I knew I had you for a reason, man. That's great. <laughs> so you know, back to the book now. So you did you know did your research, so you didn't just you weren't just operating off your feelings. I like yeah. what you said earlier about just another guy complaining. You know that <laughs> you know you you don't want to be that. I'm I'm that guy some of the time. But you know, so it, correct me if, if I'm. And we have some people in the chat asking about kind of the premise for your book. So you're trying to make the case to pastors and people in the leadership community in evangelical Christianity um, that, that the blue collar demographic is an untapped resource in America. Is that a good, yeah. nice. That's exact summary. That's, right, that's, the, that's why I call it the blue collar blind spot. It kind of 
makes that the point concisely in the title. Um, and then it's the upside is it's short pastors tend not to have a lot of time anyway. Um, the, uh, so the, because they're speaking primarily to white collar throughout the book, I have to define what do I mean by blue collar, white collar, uh, by what metric do you say that they're being untapped and to sort of reach the way pastor, most evangelical pastors brain spaces, I use phrasing that's typically reserved for missionaries. Um, so any of you who've had to sit through a, um, a missionary report, you would have heard the things like heart language and um, unreached people group and those sorts of things. So I, I'm very intentional in my language to say blue collar is effectively an unreached people group. Mm. And uh, the solution then sort of becomes that that allegory presents the solution of if you are aware the blue collar has a different language, a different culture, and then effectively is in a different country because of the time schedule, uh, schedule differences. Um, I, I'm up at three in the morning because I have to be at work by five. And it's the only way I get any solitude in a day is I got to be up at three mm. and I'm off work by one. And I have the whole afternoon I'm doing service now. So it's like seven to three thirty, So I'm practically normal now, but it was time was uh, everybody on oh. construction sites does that. Uh, there are some guys, there's a whole electrical company. All they do is uh, stuff in grocery stores and Walmarts. So they're only working midnights because that's the only time Walmart wants you driving through their aisles in a scissor lift is, you know, at night when nobody's there or almost yeah. no one's there. So did you have to adjust to that sleep schedule? I mean, you know, with seven kids, maybe not so much, but is it, you know, how fast, how fast do you get used to it? It it was a little bit of an adjustment initially. Um, I, you've, you've worked regular jobs before though. Like having money to eat is a powerful motivation. Yes. And after, after about the first couple of months, you're just like, this is life now. Yeah. And yeah, you cope. So, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, how have you tried to um, – you wrote the book and uh, – well, first of all, I always ask people about their their workflow in, in their creative process too. Did you do this kind of a schedule, like certain amount every day whenever the you know inspiration hits you or you know, how did you get it I, done um, in an efficient way? I, I had to be very slow and steady about it because like, like you said, I have seven kids. I also run the media at my church and the website, which I need to update <laughs> a few days behind on. Um, but that's I our we've got a small congregation, so I'm like a one man media minister or whatever. Um, and so the only way I was able to make time was being little chunks that were just very consistent. So every Monday, I think it switched to whatever day of the week. But by the end, the last like two years, it was every Monday. Um, I would sit down, I'd get off right off work, drive straight to Dunkin' Donuts, and I would just sit there till like seven thirty or eight o'clock at night working. Um, so it got me away and out of the house because the moment you're home, you're dead, no matter what. Even if you just hear like yelling in the next room, your brain keeps jumping compartments to like, are they dead? No. Okay. Mm. Are they about to die? No. Okay. <laughs> just every two seconds. Um, so that's, that was the way I did it though. It was over four years, about four or five hours a week for four years. Um, the, the biggest chunks were, um, the, the research I had to do on my own, the Pew research, like for the demographic studies on percentage of blue collar in, um, in church, or the, per- the percentages of blue collar that are within America versus how many men are missing from uh, church ministries. Uh, you wind up with a deficit of like 15 million men, assuming a perfect 50, 50 split, uh, about 15 million men across the board. Um, there's, uh, there's about 15 million less, I think. And then there's also 
those are 15%, 7, no, they were like 5 to 7% less engaged um, across right. other metrics. Yeah, I had a like question about this. Prayer, attendance, um, prayer, prayer services, all of the different uh, metrics that they, um, they compare, different questions like how many times a week do you pray? Um, do you believe the Bible is a source for morality or its philosophy? Um, do you believe God exists? <laughs> that wasn't 100%, which was weird. With men um, who people, identify as Christian? Yeah, or, so this okay. is in the subset of men that identify as Christian uh, oh. that also do other things. And so within that, it was they may or may not believe God exists. It wasn't 100% say absolutely. It was it was weird. It was a little bit of a shocker. Yeah. Um, but that's yeah, within those metrics, men kept being about five to seven percent less in numerically as well as less engaged. Um, and then you look at the blue collar workers are conservatively 15 to 18 million um, using the uh, Department of Labor statistics and just working percentages of percentages of is 13 percent of all jobs. So you take 13% of 150-ish million Americans and you wind up with 15 to 18 million um, men. No, so yeah, you wind up with 18 million men and then 79% of blue-collar jobs, as defined by the labor statistics, is male. So it's 79% of 13% of 150-ish million. Winds up about 215 million uh, men that are... Right there, if you target a blue-collar message, you're direct, directly targeting a demographic of at least, give or take, 15 million men. That would at least bolster. I mean, if they're already in church, it's going to bolster engagement. If they're not in church yet, it would encourage them to come into church. And then the twofold payoff, there was a Pew Research that showed uh, working-class Americans are more likely than, uh, than white-collar to uh, sh- attend a church that's farther away with a desire to um, look for volunteer opportunities, not what they get out of the service. It was like a really nuanced, like re-questionnaire of their, their previous uh, survey I found. Do you, Everything's uh, footnoted in the yeah, book. I don't yeah. have it off the top of my head right I now. I would but. love to get these links and show the people on my, uh, on my daily stream and stuff like that. It sounds like a very interesting segment to go through just to pick apart all the questions. Very interesting. Um, I, 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 I know I've, see, I've, I, I might have everything hyperlinked when I was, when I was making notes to write my book, it's appendix D if anyone cares is just the raw statistics put together. And then there's a whole chapter where I kind of strung those together in sentences the best I could to keep it coherent and not tedious. So, um, um we, uh, um, before I get back to my questions, I got a couple questions from the chat. Um, yeah, yeah do it too. So, so I know in your streams, you've, you've mentioned the word evangelical before, but, but do you have a particular denomination or what type, what type of Christian are you, sir? <laughs> I'm a millennial. We don't believe in labels. Come on, man. <laughs> That's Give us a great time. answer, man. <laughs> I'm only barely a millennial. I guess 1987 is the cutoff date it's, for yeah, millennials. Yeah, I'm 88, and that's that's right yeah. at the cusp. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. My sister was born in 88, so yeah. there you go. So you, do you say evangelical, or do you just say so Christian? I, what do you... I, I am a Christian who follows the Bible. I currently attend an Assemblies of God church because you can't throw out all the Holy Spirit stuff. Um, the Assemblies of God are basically Pentecostals. If you guys don't know, they're, they're basically Pentecostals, but they're sane Pentecostals. And I don't mean that in any insulting way. Um, but they're, these church services aren't lasting three hours extra where literally everyone's crying and pushing each other over. 
not the services, but these services will occasionally run long because everybody just gets super into worship. And then suddenly a random lady in the back will start shouting a scripture that happens to match exactly what the pre- preacher is going to start preaching about in, in 15 minutes. Uh, and they, there's no way that she would have known because you, you just talked to her before the service and the pastor didn't show up till like five minutes ago. And it's, so those kind of things happen very consistently. And so wow. I, I can't read the, the end of John um, in the, the upper room discourse and get away with like the Holy spirit, something real and powerful that we as Christians have. And uh, so many Baptists are borderline rationalists in the way they view the world that like God answers prayer because cancer disappears a little bit sometimes. Mm. And that's, that's the world they live in. Um, when Jesus is talking about moving mountains and stuff, and I can't reconcile what I read in the Bible with the way they present the world as this rationalist world, but no, we're Christians and we still pray. God answers prayers. Mm. Yeah, uh, sometimes I didn't, a little. I didn't know anything about that, that distinction. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't really know what you're talking about. I did because I, I don't know much about the differences between the de- denominations. I know the difference between the history of them, where like when they were yes. founded. Um, yeah. But I'd never. Wow, I'll look into that. That's very interesting. Um, it's it's a fun rabbit hole if you're, if you're interested in nuanced like theology yeah, oh, stuff. Yeah, I am. Uh, Another one from the chat. Okay, so uh, the hairy chested libertarian says, uh, <laughs> "How does a blue collar conversa- conversation and messaging differ from what is preached, generally speaking?" More cuss words. Okay, yeah, th- there you go. <laughs> um, uh, just see the the main premise of the book too is it's a simple problem but i feel like it's systemic because so many preachers come from a white collar frame of reference um it's like 99 percent uh i i ran numbers based on uh top bestseller list on amazon um I, I i got eight i went eight top 100 lists but because there was so much cross uh crossover between the lists i only wound up with about 320 some odd books and about a little over 300 different authors because you got guys like Tony Evans and Joyce Myers just cranking books out. Um, the, uh, dude, my brain almost forgot the question. Harry chested libertarian blue collar language. So it's mainly a difference in, um, the way, the way it's presented just, you know, when you're talking about, um, when you're talking about cubicles, throw a reference to a service truck in there, throw a reference to, you know, boots in, you know, boots and suits, put oh. them together. They rhyme, you know, there's just little stuff like that. Suddenly you're engaged. Suddenly your ears perk up. I was reading a book by a guy who's talking about how like you, you need to multiply and you need to, you need to have like your, use your faith at work. And, you know, multiplying isn't just for ministries and given at church, it's for, for what you do every day. You know, if you're a mechanic, be a great mechanic. If you're, so I, in his book, he had like one reference at the beginning to uh, a machinist, and then at the very end, he had one example for a guy that was just called to be a really good car mechanic. Um, and that was in a, in a like 250 page book. Those are the only two references. And the rest of the book, he had multiple lists where he would list different careers. And it was always like a New York stock exchange, a stay home mom, a professional athlete. And that's like every single list in this guy's book. And so all I'm saying is add mechanic to that list, you know, add electrician, add plumber, you know, just, just sprinkle it in there. And that's, that's enough. And, um, so it's versus, like, being relata- like being relatable, you know, yeah, just, you, just be, be a little intentional. There is a very good reason. Glenn Beck will not stop talking about KFC and McDonald's. <laughs> and it's because it's where most of America goes. 
Uh, and there's a very good reason that the people that listen to Glenn Beck won't listen to like Michael Knowles because he's constantly talking about wine and cigars. And I, I can't afford those things. I shop at <laughs> Walmart. And so that, that kind of thinking applied to sermons is yeah. the, the main thrust of the book. But I, I get a little more detailed uh, because as a blue collar, you're really engaged in your craft. If you ask these guys, hey, how you doing? You know, what, tell me something about you. They'd say, well, I'm an electrician. It's a part of their identity is I am an electrician. I am a plumber. I am a machinist. I am a pipe fitter. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's a part of it. And so few pastors have a, a real intended focus on how you bring your, your Sunday into the rest of the week. Uh, and it's, it's important. I, I try and get a little, little highfalutin. Um, the one thing I am good at in uh, Bible college, I will say is, um, expositing scripture uh i would get in trouble because i'd have a whole paper and every footnote was a bible verse and that was it (laughs) um and because i would take an exact phrase like out of the bible verse in context and just weave it into the sentence and go because this is true here's how we're going to do things or should do things and so the there's a fancy term in uh in theology where they put ology on the end for logos right and uh, so I took the Greek word for work, ergos, and then, you know, ergology, this, the theology of work, um, to, to be intentional then about building a biblical view of how, what do you do every day? When you get out of bed in the morning and you go someplace, you're going to spend at least eight hours doing something. And that something is to the glory of God, and it's integral with, you know, God's creation and your mission here on earth and worshiping him. And those are all kind of the same thing, but that never gets really addressed in the pulpit. And by simply addressing work and talking about trucks and boots just a little bit more, you can really aggressively engage blue collar stuff. Um, the, the other big thing is in the scheduling, uh, because like I, I've never seen a Bible study that was willing to meet at 4 a.m. Oh, I, I'm not saying a lot of them need to, but or I worked as a, as a prison guard you my weekend was in the middle of the week and i worked evenings so if it was on a saturday or after like four o'clock i couldn't go to any church function wow i was just i was just gonna ask that is the yeah what you see is one of the paths for you know catering small groups and 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 studies specifically to that and that's you know you you don't need that many people but you know no no just just one or two just something you know every at least like once because anything right now it's almost nothing at least once a month, have a full church service, worship, sermon, whatever, at like 10 o'clock on a Wednesday. And because, like, if I work third shift, what am I going to invite my coworkers to? I'm already having to take time off or plan my one day off on the cycle to be at church that one Sunday. Um, there was a lot of churches. I'm in small town Missouri at the time in Bible college. It was just known that, oh, her husband never comes to church because he's a cop. And so he's here like once a month because that's how his weekend works. Or, you know, uh, one uh, one lady almost she was only able to come like half the Saturdays because she was a nurse and would wind up working overnight on the weekends. And so she was only there to make it like every third or every other um, Sunday rather. Yeah. And so just just a little conscious conscientiousness of that, even if you have to make a small tailored thing, uh, would go go miles beyond having nothing and so just a few little changes in language a few little changes in a rhetoric or a a focused uh sermon series Mm -hmm. i found one guy kent duncan he had a 
uh, blue collar theology, I think was the, the title, the keywords for the title on uh, Christianity Today. Um, this is not an endorsement for that magazine. The, uh, but the, Ken Duncan did an awesome thing where he actually commissioned um, his blue collar congregants. He did a whole series on a theology of work and what that looks like, and then commissioned them as missionaries to their workplaces at the end of that series, like brought them up in front of the congregation, laid hands on them, prayed over them, like the whole biblical thing of you guys are missionaries from this church to the Walmart you work at, to the dog food label factory you work at, to to all those places you go. You represent our church when you go there. You tell them about Jesus for us because you, God sent you there to reach them. Uh, we're going to do one more question from the chat and then we'll move on to the itinerary guys. But this is a good one from, again, from the hairy chested libertarian. Do you think, uh, do you think uh, blue collar workers feel undervalued in the, in the church body? Yes, I think so. In, in only because the church has kind of adopted this view of the culture that it's kind of this unspoken that suits are better than boots hmm. that um, when they talk yeah. about go to college, exactly. Go to college and get a good job. That assumes that all the good jobs are on the other side of a college degree. Uh, when I can, I can start work at $15 an hour because I know nothing and I'm willing to push a broom and carry heavy stuff for somebody who knows what they're doing. And then four years later, I have a journeyman's license and I got paid that whole time to learn a trade. And then between five and 10 years after that journeyman's license, I can be running my own business. Uh, even if it's just me out of a truck, I, I can do that. I can be competitive in the marketplace as a small business inside of 10, maybe 15 years tops in most states. Most states, all the states' licensing is a little different. You could do it in 10 years in Virginia, though. You only need a journeyman's license for one year, I believe. Wow. Well, Unless they change it. They keep changing stuff. One of the things that you mentioned in one of your streams is very, very interesting to me that I want to talk to you about is um, you said you have a chapter on – why Jesus was a carpenter, you know, I don't know if you linked it to some scripture, but like, why don't you just talk about, about that, why, why that's important and what you're, um, what you found out about that through your. Yes. That's, that's an entire live stream that I did for like an hour ranting. Um, so one of the things as I was, um, digging through looking at stuff, one of the things that constantly bothers me is you'll hear the well actuallys of when somebody will mention Jesus was a carpenter or it makes such a good, it makes such a good blog article. You do five minutes of research, you spin up a blog article because you mentioned a couple of like the, you know, the I'm the head of the cornerstone or whatever when Jesus is preaching and you call it a day. And Jesus, well, actually the, the word could have been stonemason. Uh, Jesus was not, was not Mason. Um, he's not into what those guys are into. <laughs> <laughs> Um, when you look at the word tectone, it makes about as much sense to say that he was a stonemason as if I was talking about someone we knew we're not saying his name. And I said, he's a Smith and you go, Smith, what do you mean? Is he a blacksmith, a silversmith, a woodsmith, a wordsmith? What does he do? I don't understand. Yeah. What? No, you would, you would assume because I didn't clarify that it was a, he worked in iron, maybe some other metals. You wouldn't immediately assume that he's an author because it could also be a wordsmith. That's a one nuanced meaning sometimes. That's the way that they treat it. They, they, go to the, they go to the strongest concordance. They see a list of four definitions, and they go, oh, this one makes a good blog article because he talks about stone sometimes in his teachings. And they quote those. Oh. If you follow the footnotes, those footnotes all lead to one book. It's one line in one chapter of one book. And the footnote for that line in that book 
goes to a single, no longer published handbook for the Holy Land done by a random uh, biblical archaeologist guy. And he just supposes because the city of Zipporah was made out of stones. And so the guy cites that and says, Jesus is actually a stonemason. Zipporah is a big Roman city right next to Nazareth. Um, but And so it was likely all of the construction workers went there to build stone buildings. But it makes zero sense because that's like saying there are no plumbers in a mining town. Mm. That's, that's preposterous on its face. Um, he also, how do you make stone anything? How do you cut stone back in the day? You take that stone and you put it on a wood table and you grab a mallet made out of wood and a chisel with a wooden handle and you chisel it. You go home and sleep on a wooden bed and sit on a wooden chair. The pulleys are wooden. The ladders are wooden. The scaffolding is wooden. Every tent, wooden poles holding up canvas, like everything in their world. They didn't have plastics and metal was expensive. You used it for the cutting edges of tools. And that's about it. You weren't making like aluminum poles for stuff. Everything was wood in and around the world. Um, even in the, the construction, some of uh, Solomon's temples, he used wood beams in her space between the stonework uh, because it acted as a shock absorber for earthquakes and stuff. And I'm trivia. Wow. So what I did though, was I, I, I looked at the word tectone and I was like, okay, I'm going to come at this objectively. My only real skill set is that I have from Bible college is language studies and how to follow footnotes. And so that's what I did. I took everywhere. The word tectone uh, came up in the new Testament, which is only twice. So it's not that big. Uh, and then the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And I'm not fancy enough to know the vol multiple versions of the Septuagint. I don't pay for the expensive logo software. I just picked the general Septuagint that everybody references. Uh, it's, it's not a big deal, guys. Relax. And then the, um, the Septuagint. Oh, and then I, I searched Josephus specifically because he, he does uh, uh, the history of the Jews. Josephus basically recaps the Old Testament. Uh, and then Wars of the Jews, he uses Tecton a couple of times in that. And then I also dug through literary Greek resources to see how are some of the Stoic uh, philosophers using this word that are within uh, the 200 BC to 200 AD gap. You know, language changes over time. So I'm trying to keep it narrowed. I wasn't cool enough to keep it narrowed by region as well. So I kept it narrowed by dates. And within a couple hundred years, language doesn't change that fast, even in our modern digital era. You and I can still pick up a 1600s King James Bible and read it. I mean, the font needs to be different, but that's it. That's all that's changed when you're reading these and thous on a modern King James Bible is the font for the large part. That's 400-year-old English, and we're able to follow it pretty well. So there's not a huge change over time, but I, I still narrowed it to a 400-year gap. And nine times out of ten, it means a guy who works with wood. Surprise. Um all of the stone references in the Old Testament, there's a few times, uh, the way the Septuagint is translated, I, oh yeah, so I took all these verses and I, I transcribed them by hand. I still have the notebook somewhere, um, but I, I transcribed every single one of them by hand in Greek and in Hebrew, and then um, uh, by hand parsed every single word, and then went back through and aggregated all of my, my data points instead of just looking at a couple of lexicons. And uh, yeah, in the Septuagint, nine times out of 10, it's a guy that works with wood. The few times it does refer to stone, the translation is really word for word. And so they use tectone as an equivalent to harash, which is the Hebrew, which in usage, harash is a very general craftsman, a guy that builds anything. 
But as you get farther into the Septuagint, the Greek gets a little more refined, and he starts using specific vocabulary words. And there are about five different words for a guy that cuts stones, places stones, and builds with stones. And as it moves into that, away from a word-for-word kind of uh, form literal translation into the Greek, it, he stops using tectone for stone cutters entirely. He uses specifically like lithologon or um, I don't have another one off the top of my head, um, but it he, it means uh, uh, he uses specific Greek words. Anytime it's a harash of stone, he'll use a specific Greek word for a stone cutter or a wall builder or um, a house builder. Uh, the other thing I've heard is Jesus is a unskilled craft. He was just like a day laborer and a slave. And so I'm like, okay, but Epictetus has an extensive reference about how carpenters are as skilled as a philosopher, but mm. just in carpentry. And he uses carpenters as an allegory for philosophers uh, a lot. Like, and he's got an entire um, diatribe about it. It seems weird to think that they're unskilled laborers. Uh, and so if, I was just if taking I may, all If these... I may, real fast, uh, you, you, it seems like you are one of the most white collared, blue collared dudes <laughs> that I've ever met in my life. Like, like that, that's been fascinating stuff. I'm very into languages as well. I haven't studied them as extensively, but I'm, I just said, said in the, in the, in the chat that I'm dorking out right now. That is fascinating stuff, man. So, so that's a whole chapter of your book, right? Just on Jesus. Yeah, so a whole chapter to basically rebut every single well actually in the most tedious fashion. Um, and so I used all of that because most of the people that try and say he's not a carpenter, they point to the one specific reference that uh, Justin Martyr does. And he's around uh, in the 200s. He's a, yeah, 150s. He's like in the 150s or something, 140s, 150s when he's writing. Mm. And he uh, that's Anno Domini, by the way. You uh, godless heathen atheists. Godless scientism <laughs> pagans. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm bringing pagan back. No longer secular. Everybody stop saying secular. Start saying pagan or heathen. Okay. Mm. We got we to gotta bring it back to the old school a little bit. Good. Um, yes. But they <laughs> – oh, I just lost my brain space. Um, he, uh, oh, right. So Justin Martyr, they'll take his one reference and say Justin Martyr, Martyr was making assumptions. He didn't know anything. And so our – highfalutin theories made thousands of years later by people that didn't grow up speaking the language are obviously correct. Uh, and so before I get to Justin Martyr, I do the entire backlog to say nine times out of 10, it's a guy that uses ax to shape wood. Occasionally it's somebody who makes tools. There's a single stoic reference that kind of presupposes a tectone puts stones on top of each other. Um, but once again, it's nine times out of 10, it's a guy that shapes wood with skill and uh, so I, I, I constructed to rebut all the different well actuallys that I've heard over time. Like, oh, well, you know, the Aramaic is Nagar, which is used in the Talmud for a, a rabbi. No, it's comparing a rabbi to a carpenter. It still means carpenter, guys. Uh, also, I haven't found a Old Test, New Testament in Aramaic, but it's whatever. Wow, that's amazing, um, predates the Greek stuff. And then the, uh, see, so yeah, I, I basically land on the rebutting all of that. But the reason it's important is because throughout Isaiah and Ezekiel, Tectone becomes an idol maker. So way back in the in the Old Testament, back in uh, Exodus and Leviticus, when they're making the temple, they're making the tabernacle, they're making the uh, the ark, and they're making all the all the stuff. Those guys are harashes. Those guys get called tectones. And then by the time we're getting close to the intertestamental period, by the the time the Babylonian exile and stuff, that all came in because they're worshiping idols. And uh, these huge, long diatribes of how stupid idol makers are. And it keeps saying a tectone built this. A tectone 
carves the tree and cuts the line. And with this half, he makes an idol and this half, he cooked breakfast. How stupid is that to worship it? Um, and so it, it's significant then because Jesus chose to be a carpenter. Um, yeah, there were prophecies. I had to be a line of David and stuff, but he had tons of lines of David to, to pick from. Uh, he picks a guy that works with his hands to be his dad on purpose, knowing that the dad he picks is also going to be the career path he picks. And then assuming he learns the trade, like I was in my dad's workshop when I was like six or seven years old, handing him hammers and stuff, watching him work on the underside of a couch. And uh, so like, it's easily 10 years old. He's in the shop learning a trade. And then 30, Luke says about 30, he goes to be like a rabbi full time, right? He spent 20 years working with his hands, providing for his family. Most scholars agree sometime, but in that time, Joseph died probably before his ministry started. Depending on how early Joseph died, that means Jesus is the one that taught James and his brothers carpentry because he would have been the man. And so wow. that's kind of a big deal that Jesus spent 20 years redeeming the trade that was idol makers that got his people thrown into exile. Oh, wow. I haven't man. heard it preached from a pulpit or seen it in a book ever, but it's, that's why it's important. He's a carpenter that works with wood that makes stuff because that's right. I almost forgot the idols, the way they make idols, they carve it out of wood and they plate that wood in a thin sheet of precious metal. Now, if you remember your old Testament, that's how God tells Moses to build the ark, to shape it out of wood and then plate it in gold. It wasn't solid gold. It was wood plated with gold. And that exact building method then is what they're using to make idols later. And they get thrown into exile. And Jesus spends 20 years working, feeding his family paycheck to paycheck at a fairly skilled but labor-intensive job to redeem the trade of Tectone and then also – like you're doing the Lord's work just for providing for your family, working hard. Yeah. And you don't have to be a lawyer, college, whatever to, to do that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, man, that was some good gravy right there, man. Um, so we got a, we got like Bible a, gravy, a, best a, gravy. a couple more segments left where I, I want to ask you some things about leadership, but I want to play Sometimes when I have people on, I play a little game with them where we call, um, I call it either a rapid fire round or, um, just a quick answer segment. And it works well for you because you, um, in one in your streams, you say you want to have a single definition, a uh, single sentence definition for, for any word. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw some words at you, and I want you to try to give me a single sentence definition as, as well as you can. Okay? There's about right. 10 different words. Okay. So we're going to start All with right. ones we've covered, covered, covered already, just blue collar. Blue collar. Uh, it's a skilled trade where they, they work with their hands primarily. Okay. Uh, white collar. A, a a more detailed, skilled uh, career path that uh, typically involves more mental effort than physical. Okay. Uh, government. Government. <laughs> <laughs> Waste of money. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> that too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I would say necessary evil. Mm, wow. Okay. Uh, love. Non-romantic love. love. An intentional course of action for the betterment of the other person. Uh, sin. Sin. <laughs> sin is lawlessness. Lawless. I'm and pull the Bible verse. That is straight up <laughs> from the Bible. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, God. God. Uh, <laughs> 
um, light, love, and the creator, I guess, mm. as uh, what, uh, what's complete as you can be. Yeah, I, I would say the Holy Trinity. You know, that would be my my. That's, my, that's, that's good. Yeah. Uh, what is what is judgment? Judgment. And let's say let's say human judgment, not not God's judgment. You know, like like what a oh, human, okay. how a human judges another human. Oh, okay. Are we talking in the negative sense, like Matthew, where like don't judge lest you be judged? I don't know. Just or, whatever you're whatever you're thinking. Um, judgment. I would. Oh, say I see what you're saying. I don't mean like a value. Like I don't mean like a value judgment. I mean to like to judge another person. In yes, in the Matthew sense. In the Matthew sense of don't judge lest you be judged. Oh, okay. Um, I would say declaring the other person's thoughts and intents of their heart. Mm, when, you, when you assume their thoughts and intents are are what they are. Uh, okay. Um, grace. Grace. I'm going to cop out with the old pastor one. God's riches at Christ's expense. Mm, I've never heard that one before. Out grace. Okay, yeah. God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay. Uh, a couple more. Evangelical. Evangelical. Um, <laughs> an umbrella term for when you're a Protestant, but you're not one of those, like, almost Catholic Protestants. Okay, cool. Um, uh, luck. Luck. A weird combination of random chance and providence. Okay. Um, church. The assembly of God's people. Mm. And uh, and last one, and we're doing this one last because I, this, I want to do kind of this subject as the last end of it. Because um, So you have two different – you distinguish between leadership for a group and leadership uh, for an individual in one of your, your live streams. So what is leadership? Um. Awesome. Qu- quick, quick uh, trivia note. It's, it's one of the fun. Well, actually, is when people say the church is not a building. The etymology of the word church comes from the, the German Kirka, which is a, a sort of contraction of Kyrios Oikos of the, the Greek referring to the Lord's house, what they call the specific building that they met in. Mm. Um, <laughs> so like, etymologically, the church is a building. Um, but in the Greek, they use the word ekklesia, which means a gathering of people, God's assembly. It's also the same word for the Lord's assembly in the Old Testament and why the denomination assemblies of God are called the assemblies of God. Fascinating. Uh, all right, trivia, trivia train over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, leadership uh, so leadership, yeah. Is intentionally influencing a person to become better. Mm. Um, and each, each of those words have asterisks to be more specific. It's a, it's a big concept, but... To have a, a succinct course of action, your goal is to influence a single person to become better. Um, and that's that's leading that person. Uh, versus leading a group of people, you're getting a group of people to focus on a single course of action to accomplish some end. Um, and that end may or may not be their own individual betterment. But if you do both of those at the same time, you're, you're extra super elite, I guess. Yeah, interesting. That's awesome. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about general leadership and, and things like that for a couple minutes, but yeah. I have a funny question first. Um, and I think a lot of people know this doesn't work. I know this doesn't work, but I want to hear someone say why it doesn't work. So why does just telling someone what to do uh, in a somewhat maybe aggressive way, n- why do they not do it? 
why do they, why does it not change their mind just with your words? Why do they not do uh, what you tell them when when you when you tell them? And you know, it, it's funny because it's usually done in an aggressive or I'm, I, I told you, you know. So why does that not work, and why is that not the best leadership? Interesting. Just telling them what sometimes it's necessary. Mm. Um, it, but you build up to it. That's like the nuclear option um, when, when done properly. Like there are foremen that that's, that's plan A for them. Do this. Put the thing over there, stupid. And you just learn to deal with it. And <laughs> you, you go on or you yell at him a bunch and you get sent off the job site. Like those are your options. Um, it's, a, it's a function of power sometimes. Um, but it, it, there's, a, there's a real in humans are fickle. And so it doesn't matter, like, if, if I told you, hey, stupid, brush your teeth every day. There's this little thing in your gut where you're like, what if I don't want to? <laughs> um, there's this, this instinctual backlash that humans have against just being instructed to do anything. We're like, well, we'll see about that. Um, versus coming alongside. That's why sales tactics are what they are. Like, the, you don't walk on a car lot and they're like, hey, buy this car, stupid. Uh, I mean, it, may, it might work for some guys, but most of the time you're like, ah, I'll go somewhere else. Yeah. Versus the guy who comes alongside and like, Hey, what are you looking for? Well, we have these options. What about this option? This one's super cheap right now because we doubled the price before we cut the price in half. Um, you, you, you have these uh, other ways of influencing people that you, you sort of come alongside and you sort of circumvent that initial reaction of that. What if I don't want that, that human fickleness of, you know, no, uh, you see it as a parent all the time when you're just like, brush your teeth. It's bedtime. Literally the whole time you've been alive, bedtime is the same time every night. And we do the same things every night. And then it's insanity. Wow. Five years, 10 years. I don't, I don't have teenagers yet, but I'm assuming it's the exact same thing where it's go do this. Everything becomes insane. You have it's seven, a, um, you I don't know seven kids and ball. none of them are are teenagers yet yeah i'm only 34 man wow man uh, yeah i guess you said that earlier that's just amazing dude <laughs> yeah. 11 oh he's gonna be 12 in march my oldest will be 12 wow great for you oh. man that's that's god, so god has blessed me yeah definitely man so you know so which do you prefer individual leadership or group leadership um, I've found individual comes a little more naturally because it's, it's more conversational, uh, especially in my, my work environment. I keep getting put with these young bucks who don't know what they're doing. And so it's real easy to influence somebody. Uh, I had a, a there's a quote I, I put in the book I got from a pastor. Um, so the critique in my book is not something I've experienced from a pastor from the pulpit that I've ever been to. Is something I like to constantly clarify. This is specifically the biggest voices, the biggest churches, uh, the you know the most radio broadcasts, the most books. Um, every local uh, pastor that I've been to, one of one of my supervisors and foremen was a pastor at a, <laughs> at his church. Um, was I think he still is a pastor. Anyway, the um, oh man, my brain keeps getting sidetracked. I've got. I hear crying. Yeah, I hear it. That's fine. It's yeah. actually it's perfect for the moment. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna real. say that. Yeah, um, there's there's kids in the background. It derails you. That's great, man. If people are talking in the chat, that's just such a blessing. Yeah, seven kids at 34. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, that that is that is great. Um, so, you know, oh, so I, I personal leadership. Yeah. That's right, young buck. The the quote is, "You're the pastor of where you're at." Um, because I, growing up, I had never had a clear vision of how do you bring faith to the workplace. I tell them about Jesus and invite them to church. 
once you become a real adult, you realize no man thinks that way. You're not going to reach anybody that way. Mm. Um, but after like two hours inside of a scissor lift, elbow to elbow with the guy, and uh, we're talking about how he parents his kids, and he's talking about struggling to find a decent church, and I'm able to sort of give some advice and just be a sounding board for so I haven't known the guy, but the two hours we're in a scissor lift. Um, but because you're elbow to elbow, suddenly they have that openness. And now I'm like, oh, the pastor of where I'm at as a pastor, you want to strengthen Christians, people that are already Christians and people that aren't Christians. You want to kind of nudge them to the path and help them see how Christianity is just objectively the best religion because it's the only true religion. Yep. Yeah. You're saying that you're saying that we can't uh, pray to Brahma in the in the Senate building. And- <laughs> so mad about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so I- mad about that. I yeah. I'm sorry, but I the a How woman you- thing. The a woman thing was a smokescreen from the mainstream media to distract from praying and, to and a the, pagan god. And the Catholics, or the, the Catholic, the Christian, the the Christian media bought it hook, line, and sinker. I don't know if it was intentional. I know it's intentional for may uh, might be wrong. You keep changing your name on me. Might be wrong. You said the memes are easier for a man. I'm telling you, focus on Brahma. Get creative. <laughs> yeah, he's in the chat right uh, now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. I, I, I know Jeremy. We, but yeah, he's a great guy. He's one of my top Brahma, mods. Yeah. Awesome. But Brahma was the focus. Everybody needed to key in on the fact that he wasn't even praying to God because he just, he ends that. He had a reference. So he starts the end of his prayer with a, a, a low-key reference to Psalm 24, which opens up with um, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains the, uh, the, the oceans and the fullness thereof. And he, he rephrases it a little bit to say, you know, the creator of heaven and earth who owns, you know, the earth and those who dwell. That's what it is, the, the earth and those who dwell in it. And, uh, and then he slides into the ironic benediction, which is, you know, uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you, and make his face shine upon you and, his, and be gracious unto you and give you peace. And he, he elaborates on it as he goes. He doesn't directly drop references. He uses the wording of and then expands, you know, you know, God, show us your face and, uh, you know, be, give us peace, peace in our homes, peace in our community, peace in this room. And he, he does a little pastorly, you know, it's just basic preacher skills. Cool. And then he ends two scripture references to then call the creator God of the universe, Brahma after dropping a Masonic reference. It was a two for one whammy. Yeah. But nobody calls their God, the monotheistic God. I don't care who you are. The monotheistic God. Brahma. The way you said it too was man. The monotheistic God. You, he pauses, yeah. you know, he's intentional. He paused and almost tripped over the words. Like he didn't want to, but he just chose to anyway. Brahma a man and a woman. So everybody focuses on it. They get upset about a woman uh, because the jokes are easy. And they completely miss the fact that he prayed to Brahma <laughs> after dropping a Freemason reference. We're going to ignore all of them. It's how Satan does, man. Yeah, like I think you've mentioned it a couple times where it'll be some truths sprinkled in there and then yeah. one fundamental lie that basically shatters the whole thing, you know. Um, and then a little lie that gets you easily upset. Yeah. And then the upset covers the big lie that you just miss. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, that they, also that guy's a pro-choice pastor. There's a lot of these popping up in the uh, in, in the in the black uh, community these days. I mean, I, I haven't They're seen the it. They're the ones getting hit by it. They, yeah. You can look at any numbers anywhere. And it's like the abortions are like 90% African-American or whatever, black. 
they keep changing the, the goalposts on that, and it's upsetting to me. I, yeah. I prefer black because that black. was what it was. If you listen to Martin Luther King, everybody drops all his pictures on, uh, on his uh, – it's not his birthday. It's the banker's holiday because they wanted a three-day week, and they couldn't just celebrate his birthday on the 15th. Um, but still, like, he, he calls himself a Negro. He calls his children Negroes. That yep. was his chosen word. And then they moved the goalpost to it's racist now. And then, to, then they were like, well, we'll call it black. And that was, that was the rhetoric for a while. And then that became racist. And then it was African-American. Um, even though like my family came from Ireland or whatever, way sooner than they came from, from Africa half the time. But I, I, I look at it as we're heritage Americans. Uh, we were born here within enough generations to not remember or care about how we got here mm. and uh, just figure out that it's a cultural difference. Cause if you've ever met a white guy from inner city, DC, he behaves and speaks a lot like, you know, the, the black guys that come from there. It's, yes. it's a, it's a cultural difference. And largely the divide is, I think, urban versus rural more than uh, skin color or anything. Yeah, I mean, that's huge. It will will always be so. And, you know, just like getting back to what we were talking about earlier, like the white collar. I mean, there's people that have used their hands a lot and there's people that that haven't. Um, It'll surprise you. Uh, One of the guys at a, a church I used to attend, he works. He does like embassy work. He knows like seven languages. Um, and he, he does like Spanish translation for embassies. He worked under uh, the Obama administration um, and he, he has sharp critiques, strong Christian man. Um, but those are, he, he likes saying these are working man's hands because uh, <laughs> he's from Jamaica and grew up building stuff out of like concrete and stuff. He still does yeah. his own work around his house, but you'd most of the time at work, he's in a suit in an embassy somewhere well, translating in one of the like seven languages he knows. That's my po- well that was kind of what uh, one of my points about what when I called you the most white collar blue collar guy I've met is because I think that you can be a blue collar person and acquire white collar skills easier than if they're flip-flopped. If you if you're a softie and like you know I'm white collar I'm you know I'm trying to get a homestead right now um, if it works out I'll, I'll be using my hands all day every day and I'll try to acquire those skills as quick as I can but yeah. Right now, I'm a softy. These are not working. Men. I mean, I can play instruments really well and things like that. But I think that you, the the if 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 the the crap hits the fan, as they say, the the people that don't know how to use their hands, they're in for a world of pain. Yeah, it's um. Well, you you acclimate fast. Like I remember the first the first like three or four months of being an electrician, coming from corrections officer, where largely you sit around and do paperwork and drink cold coffee. It, it was it was an awakening like my wrist constantly popped and ached and um like you you find weird little muscles in like your calves and stuff that you didn't even think about using because you you didn't realize you were standing on a ladder for like an hour and a half and then you come down and are like why do my legs hurt just walking um and you 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 eventually adjust to that but uh it it, it happens fairly quickly it's just unpleasant uh the main skill i think in being blue collar is just learning to take the desire to whine and just stuff it down and man through the pain um, and then find the balance of maybe there's an easier way to do this and I shouldn't just hurt myself to accomplish it. That's walking that line. But you, you lean more towards just having to stuff the whining and, and get the job done because you're like, well, my family doesn't eat if I don't work today. So we got to figure out how to get the power on. Wow. Yeah. I mean, uh, great. So, so we just have a, a couple more questions and then I, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to plug your work and then we'll get out of here. But someone I asked do. a question earlier about um, this is a great question because you do have the, the well, actually crowd talking about this. Um, what do you think about Jesus 
and and whether he was a socialist or not. Was Jesus a socialist? No. And uh, what do you have to say to the crowd? I can tell that you 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 disagree with that. Um, and what do you have to say to the people that that try to lump Christianity and socialism together? So you have to understand, socialism is a fancy word for Marxism, which is a fancy word for satanic entropy of society. Uh, the more you dig into Marx's personal life, the more you realize how tormented by demons this guy really was. Take a minute, Google Marx's personal poetry. He wrote poems and he memorized entire passages from Faust, uh, specifically quotes from Mephistopheles, who's the demon that makes the bargain with Faust. Um, uh, one of the lines from his poems is, Satan has given me his sword and I will destroy the world with it or something. Uh, which fits when we see what Marxist uh, socialism does to countries. The reason it's so hard to nail down Marxist communist ideology is because it's brilliantly crafted, I believe, by Satan himself. Uh, Census Fidelum, I think, is the YouTube channel where a, a Catholic priest just goes to town on Marx and gives a lot of the references for all the satanic influences. He does the same thing for Martin Luther, by the way, too, which is enlightening. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I like looking at people that disagree with me <clears throat> because it forces me to be more robust in what I'm thinking about and how I function. Socialism is basically a rebranding of communism uh, forwarded by people who call themselves Fabian socialists, which are people that think that they can do it. They're basically sociopaths and their only goal in life is to forward communism, uh, Marxist ideology at all levels of society. And if you want a good window into how they work, and how they think, you can read C.S. Lewis's That Hideous Strength. It's the third in his series of science fiction trilogies. And uh, reading that, you understand that C.S. Lewis had some gravy and knew how the world operates. And basically gives you an inside look at what may be called the Fabian Society at Cambridge. Um, but it's socialism is simply an outcropping of that. And so to call Jesus a socialist is to have already um, a priori bought the marketing and rebrand of communism because uh, socialism isn't really its own standalone ideology. It's just sort of a, a gateway door. The, the same way that occultists will tell you that white magic is um, the same way that uh, the occult will tell you that, that white magic is, you know, oh, it's just harmless. The only goal is to bring you into the deeper stuff. And so they just, we tell the noobs that, you know, once begun, harm not. Um, but then they get real after that. Uh, yeah. for the, as you get the initiate. So it's, that's all, that's all socialism is, is it's a, it's a first step. So when you read Jesus's gospel and you have socialism in your brain, it puts socialism colored glasses on everything Jesus says. Uh, so you ignore him thrashing people in the temple. Um, you ignore him saying, you'll always have the poor. Uh, you just, you just throw those things to the wind uh, because that, that's why I really encourage everybody to read the Bible for yourself, read it completely Read it over and over again, and when you hit something you don't understand, just skip past it and come back later. Uh, the stuff after it usually helps it make sense beforehand, and don't get stuck on the on the literal details. Just keep reading all the way through. Um, you know, read the whole chapter, read the whole book, read the whole uh, the whole series of books in a row, like for the Gospels and stuff, um, because it's so easy to take little bits of the the Gospel or any any part of the Old Testament and just do whatever you want with it. Uh, and so it's important to read the entire thing for yourself um, and not come at it with any presupposed assumptions about whatever's happening and wow. just read it like you would any other book. Cool. 
um, because that's what we do with any other historical narrative that we find, um, be it the Trojan Wars or Herodotus or whatever. I, I won't get down the rabbit hole of whether or not that's valid history. That's yeah, that's I mean, big for my British. Well, first of all, I would love to have you back on again to talk history and linguistics, all kinds of stuff. I mean, you seem like you'd be a very good uh, repeat guest. Um, so why don't you just tell the I'm people? Cool, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll reach out again. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm reworking my life right now, and so once once I'm gonna slowly do, do that, and then I'll have two or three yeah. guests on a week, like back in the day. I know that people like that a lot, but why, why don't you uh, uh, just uh, tell the people how to find your work in audio form? All this stuff will be linked below in the show description, and as well as on this podcast later. But how do we find you online? Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm follow the number two and lead on most social platforms, or follow to lead one. Uh, if you look for Robert Bordelon Pearson, I'm trying to put everything to that because I think last names are important for heritage sakes. Um, and the uh, but follow the leader, all lowercase, follow the leader dot one O N E will get you to my website, and I have links to all my social stuff from there. I'm on basically every podcast platform because Anchor is awesome, and I'm also on a thing called Audio Mac. If you do a podcast and you're a Christian, you need to get on Audio Mac because it's mostly like indie rap artists. And it's an easy way to get organic reach. And we need to flood this, uh, this godless rap platform with Christian podcasters. Cause most of my, I have 10,000, 10,500 plays on audio Mac. And I only update once every like three or four months sometimes. Um, and like 70% of my listeners are on the ivory coast between Ghana and Nigeria for some reason. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I heard that. Yeah. I heard that. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I heard that stream of yours and I actually uh, started an audio Mac uh, uh, account today. I'm going to upload my podcast yes. to it. And yes. I'm uh, I uploading it. it. You can upload your RSS feed. So you don't have to back upload everything, but it's such a small platform that like Eminem and Rihanna don't have more than 800,000 uh, followers. Like that's how small this platform is, but there've been like 10 million downloads and a bunch of other stuff. So it's, it's definitely worth some organic reach and like have more people hear the gospel or whatever fun stuff you do. Cool. But, uh, we need to flood it with Christians cause it's awesome. Great. All right, sweet. I'm going to kick cool. you out of the room. I'm going to kick you out of the room as always. Nothing personal. Um, love to get you back on again. Uh, have a nice night, man. Great to talk to you. Take care. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. All right, that was awesome, y'all. Let's throw on this music, and I'll be back in about 15 or 20 minutes with episode number uh, 449 of The Daily Ignoramus. Oh, yeah, Robert Bordelon Pearson, everybody. Thanks for having a nice live chat tonight. It was a good time. I love you all. This will be uploaded as a podcast in a couple days, maybe even, even this evening. I'm not even sure. Back in 20 minutes, Stephen Ignoramus with Call Me Ignorant. Have a nice night.